Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. Enjoy the podcast. In today's educational environment, students and teachers are juggling a mix of face-to-face, online and blended learning courses. Canvas by Instructure helps teachers navigate these diverse learning experiences with a user-friendly virtual learning environment that offers flexible access to courses and a consistent learning experience, all while streamlining everyday teaching processes. The world's best schools and universities are using Canvas to create dynamic courses, collaborate seamlessly, and access actionable data that drives student success. Are you looking for lesson planning materials to kickstart the new term? We've got you covered. The Day is a global online resource that turns the news into lessons. We're offering listeners a free resource on Andrew Tate that you can find on thedaynews.co forward slash Tate. Inspire personal development and critical thinking for your students by downloading the Tate Debate today and feel more confident addressing sensitive topics with your class. Visit thedaynews.co forward slash Tate to find out more. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Hello and good evening. Hello, Brent. How are you? Um, I'm knackered. <laughs> I, I, I think what's happened here is that um, we're, so, we're normally not on time and uh, everyone's surprised we're here. Well, you know, you, let's you try and be on, on time. time. You were not on time. We were. late. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tom, you're such a hard man to please. You are. Right, so tonight, um, I want to look at a couple of things. So I want to look at um, this, this idea of <laughs> mission creep, shall we call it, and teachers brushing teeth. But also the the fact that obviously the you know the, the schools are asked to do a lot more, but it's disproportionate in areas where there is higher deprivation. So that's the first sort of theme of we want to explore that, and we, we can't really ignore today that the progress aid scores have been released because there are some um, interesting scores that um, you can see that the the highest performing school in the country is again the Michaela Academy, much as controversial as it is. Basically, because it's led by you know a person who is outspoken and controversial in in Catholic Burbessing, but the statistics there, the evidence is there. So we'll have a look at um, I think the geography of of those progress rates and even the school backgrounds of those progress progress rate schools as well. So there's definitely something in that which ties into the other thing that we want to discuss tonight, which is this gap that is opening up in, in not only in, in in the sense of class and region in regards to the educational gap, but certainly the, this widening gap um, between the different ethnicities. And in particular, there's a pattern developing of um, white working class uh, students being left behind, further behind. And, and, and that's been an issue for a while, but certainly something has happened during COVID that's accentuated that. 
And there's been a recent study, which is, again, the evidence and statistics are showing that there is a widening gap in uh, attainment. And it's not across the board. I mean, um, there's certainly the um, people from South Asian um, and Asian backgrounds, Chinese backgrounds are doing well. In, and there is a definite sort of uh, catching up of, of other groups like Pakistani, for instance, who have caught up white British groups. But then there's a drop off um, of, of white British working class in particular. So we're, we're keen to sort of explore that. And then the third strand of that is was a call for more um, black British head teachers because um, a letter went in um, from black head teachers saying, you know, we want more um, diversity in the classroom, which, you know, more children need, you know, more people they can identify with as role models. Um, and that, that sparks a conversation of, well, you know, I think we need more teachers full stop. But is, is that an issue that we need to resolve as well, the diversity within the teaching profession and also um, the lack of diversity within um, head teachership, which is ironic because I've just said that the top performing progress rate school in the country is, is led by a, a black British woman, um, which, again, you know, statistics and statistics and damn statistics don't always tell the full story, don't they? And that's what you have to be careful of. Um, statistics are can, can be interesting and can show patterns, but they don't always tell the, 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 the intricate stories, the same as the children's successes. Um, there was another head uh, story this week that showed that a head teacher, a good head teacher, is worth they reckon uh, two extra grades in two separate GCSEs, um, and they, they they have a value added of that that level. So head teachers can add to the value added, um, and when you sort of add all this together, there's a definite sort of patterns developing of good head teachers, lack of head teachers. Uh, funding in some areas, cultural capital, some groups that are doing well in British education systems, some groups that aren't doing well. And it's a very mixed mixed picture and, and very much like everything else in society, a postcode lottery possibly between educational outcomes, uh, school success, uh, good trusts, not so good trusts, well-run schools, not so well-run schools, behaviour in some areas. I, I think there's a lot to be uh, unpicked, so to speak. And obviously we're looking to to hear from as many people as possible with different points of view on this because I'll have my opinions and I look at the statistics, Adam will have his opinions and we can look at the statistics, but we're keen to hear from some diversity in itself and, 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 and some suggestions because as a social scientist and a person who has an academic background in economic and social sciences and development, for instance, I've, I've always tried to understand the, the different levers and pullers which change and and, and change our society, so to speak, and education being one of those things that mirrors what's happening in a wider society. So that's what we're going to do tonight. We'll do it in that order. We'll start with, um, should teachers be brushing teeth? Uh, we'll then move into um, the Progress 8, I think is really good to have a look at the the geographical spread, uh, the nature of the schools, um, and whether we believe in this idea of Progress 8. Is it a crude measurement? Or much like the Ofsted criteria, is, is it how we should be measuring schools? Uh, yeah, so so I picked up on this story earlier on the week because it kind of um, it's, it's kind of one of those things that you kind of hear and think. Well, it kind of sounds a good idea in one respect that you know uh, all all children come to one place. If you want to solve a a social problem, maybe it can be solved within the uh, teaching profession or in schools because that's where children go on a regular basis and all one thing. But I just I could get concerned about. You know, policies that come out 
and are not re reflective in kind of the work-life balance and everything else that we're trying to achieve in schools at the minute. We've, we've talked on many occasions about uh, retention issues and workload issues and that type of thing. And it seems like for, for Keir Starmer to say it, to have it kind of as one of a, a policy that he announced uh, the other day at the Labour Party conference, that it could be kind of, it's just, it's just worrying that it's in a mindset of, well, that's, a, that's another thing schools can do and put it onto the school to fix a another social problem. In this case, it was dent dentistry, uh, but it could be a health issue, or it could be a uh, any issue that kind of goes on in wider society. So uh, that's the kind of story that, that I picked up. It'd be in really interesting to hear uh, people's uh, views on that as we kind of go through tonight's uh, show, because we're often asked to do lots of things in a school. And I know that me and Brent have talked previously on on shows that you know we've been asked to be a counsellor we've been asked to be a the pastoral role in particular has grown massively since since I started as a teacher and actually becomes a more and more in, integral part of my job uh, but also we're dealing with kind of sometimes we're dealing with some family issues sometimes we're dealing with uh, the online space the social media space and all those other things kind of come into the classroom and is brushing teeth actually just another another thing, another another could be, could be another thing that kind of pushes some teachers out of the profession and becomes like another workload issue? So it'd be really interesting, particularly if you work in the um, you know with younger children, uh, whether you're a seeing a decline in their um, uh, dental um, hygiene or their dental health. And also, do you think it is the uh, teacher's responsibility to actually start um, uh, doing this? I mean, I work at the top end of school, and uh, so sixth form, so I'm kind of a bit distant from uh, from the primary school uh, world. But I've had... Do you, Adam, do you have to uh, tell the sixth formers to... I mean, because I work, I work in, obviously, 11, 16, yeah. and I... I we do PhD lessons on, on teeth brushing, and I know for a fact that I've had to turn around to some students in in key stage three and say, "Have you brushed your teeth this morning? Have you had your breakfast this morning?" Yeah. Uh, and quite shockingly, some of the kids uh, happily admit they just rocked out of bed, put their uniform on, and sort of ran out the door. Well, to, to be honest um, with you, I've, I've maybe had to ask a few teachers. <laughs> but it, you know, it, it goes back to that, isn't it? Because. I often get angry when you when you hear these. Uh, what are they teaching at schools? What are they teaching in schools? We used to get that like fifteen years ago when when teenage pregnancy rates were really high. And I think actually there was a parent uh, a couple of years ago who tried to take the school to court for not teaching their child at you know at thirteen sex education because they got pregnant. And you're like, hold on a second here. When did when did we become the complete primary educator? Now. I get myself into trouble in this, you know. Sometimes when when I when I when I suggest, I, I'm putting it out there. I am a school. I'm not the primary educator of the children I teach. I shouldn't be the primary educator of the children I teach. And if the children I teach think that I am the only person who educates them, and if the parents that I teach, uh, the children of the of the parents I teach, think that I am the primary educator of their children, then I. <laughs> I think we're in a serious bit of trouble. Um, and I've often said that, says I back up at a parents' evening last night. And the parents, uh, always love parents' evening, uh, you know, good set of parents, they, you know, come, they, they, they care about their children. I, I care enough to stay at 6.30 in the evening. Uh, and we're all in the same place. We're all on the same page. 
And they'll often say, well, thanks very much for all that you do. Thanks very much for your hard work. And they go, no, thank you very much for, for reading your child a bedtime story. Thank you very much for taking the museum. Thank you very much for giving, giving them history, a, 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 an interest in history. And it's usually, I'll get a parent say, oh, I really like that subject at school and I'm really glad my child's doing well. And you sort of see that the massive amount of influence and the cultural capital is passed on. And, and I'm just backing up what the parents are, are doing. And I'm backing up what society's doing as well. I'm I'm the backup plan. I'm not the primary plan. If I'm the primary plan, I got 417 students in, in five different subjects in 20, 20 odd periods a week that I see maybe one hour a week. Really? That that's what you want me to that's factory education. I can't do that at secondary. And I know primary's brilliant for you know the amount of care and attention that they put into uh, to children. But again, is it up to schools to be the primary educator? And I think that's a national. I think that's a national debate that we need to have because too often it's just what are they teaching at schools? What are they teaching? And an, an overloaded school curriculum is just piled on more. Uh, Andrew Tate vaping. I mean, we're just basically the dumping ground for every one of society's issues that we just have to resolve, and then be told that we're never good enough, and then we haven't got enough recruitment or retention, not enough TAs, not enough funding. You're like, give us a break. Either one or the other. If we are to be the primary educator then give us a first-class education system. Give us money. Mm. You know, give us the resources to do that. Give us the time. Give us, you know, the, the I think, give us the credit where credit's due. Or are we just a, what are we now? Just a, a child-minding service will be brushed the teeth as well. Wait, what, what's, what's next? We're going to feed, clothe, and house Well, well I'm, I'm seeing a campaign there for you, Brent, saying give us the toothbrushes. That's your slogan for this. Well, well, it used to be. Well, still give me the glue sticks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's just. In, I mean, like, I mean, we. You know, I was, I was a governor at a, a primary school um, near where we both used to work, and uh, you know, one of the things that we we knew there was a problem there was uh, children actually being ready to, um, you know, use the toilets and uh, get themselves ready in the morning. That was a kind of a, a, a primary concern you know, for reception children there. And, um, you know, it, it was a big learning curve for me because, you know, I've been brought up in a house where that was done. That's what we were doing with our children at the time. You just kind of, in a way, uh, get in a bubble where you presume that is happening in the family. And then again, when you're in these communities, you realise that for lots of reasons, and they are vast, it's not a kind of, uh, you know, one issue uh, problem, Um that's the multifaceted and it's really difficult to get a hold on kind of what what is the kind of problem when you speak to the parents they they talk to you and they want to do that uh but they somehow have got so disconnected that they can't do it or they're unable to do it or other things uh are more uh precedent in their mind it could be work it could be mental health illnesses it could be uh they're struggling themselves to get by and actually, what they want to do is they want to do the primary care, but actually, for some reason, it just seems to slip off uh, their agenda. I think it's really um, hard sometimes for, you know, quote unquote, middle class uh, parents uh, to uh, understand why that doesn't happen. I think a lot of people just presume it happens. Um, but actually, for some parents, it's very, very challenging. And you've got to remember that a lot of these parents as well have had things like the Shore Start Centres taken away from them. And they've had that kind of support network completely ripped away from them um, over the last 10 years. Um, and, you know, they then, they're then kind of look, looking at uh, the next stage or the next permanent place where their child is going to maybe 
support and help them. And and that's where the, that's but, where the, but the thing is, is. I mean, if I, but I, I, I accept all that to a certain extent. But then I have to ask the question. I grew up working class. I grew up in a housing yeah. estate. I grew up with a dad who's a plaster and mum's a housewife. Yeah. So, so I know we have to say, but, we, my, we, but, but my parents would never in a million years expect a school to be brushing the teeth or, or, or tying the shoelace. There's an element of, of kind of, do we have to teach parents how to parent? I mean, and I, and I was going to sound horrible for me to say it, but I do feel sometimes that we have to have do parenting classes of like, this is how your child ties the shoelace. You know what I mean? This is how you, you forgive me for this, but my dad taught me how to ride a bike. Okay, my mum taught me how to to do certain things. You know, my grandparents, my grandparents taught me, and my both of us sets of my grandparents taught me lots as well. And I, I think, unfortunately, everybody now just goes straight to the school and says it's the school's responsibility for the children to read and write. Yeah. The schools, and I think the government's part of this problem now because they put the pressure on schools to say the child must be doing this this amount of reading, that amount of reading. Well, I'm sorry, but. You're right about the sure start. You're right about the amount of libraries closing as well. You're right about the, even for the youth aspect as well. There's less youth clubs. There's less less ownership. It, it seems to be all on schools. School seems to be the kind of all or nothing now. Yeah. And if you are living in an area where you've got a good, well-financed, well-run, well-managed school in an area of cultural capital, you've got some of those things that, things that still exist. You, you've got... For instance, a parent who can work from home. Yeah, but this this is probably going to get us. I mean, the 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 the, the teeth brushing thing is a kind of a Trojan horse, really, into kind of what we're discussing more widely about attainment, class, ethnicity, and obviously, kind of uh, wealth slash capital are going to be within that as well. Um, but that's kind of unfortunately what's happened is their com- communities have been just left behind, haven't they? And the school, the school system, and in some cases, Ofsted itself has actually escalated that problem because of house prices, because of the link between a good school and house prices. What happens? That's a good. What point. happens is, is yeah. you end up with these pockets of communities uh, that are just completely left and abandoned. You know, and and that that's on top of all the um, de deindustrialization stuff as well and that the stuff that didn't happen after the mines closed for example where we used to work you know a big area stanton steel whatever these large industries just stop or fail or go and don't exist anymore or are closed down and then but again adam i grew up with 45 percent unemployment in an in a, in a ethno conflict yeah. and we didn't have that but is, is that because, yeah, but is that because that, there's something? No, there's something about responsibility and pride. It's something about responsibility and pride. My parents would never have me to go to school with my uniform not washed. They would never have me go to school without equipment, even though we didn't have much money. And I had it the other day with a child, and I said, "I'm giving you a calculator for the second time. Do you have a mobile phone in your pocket?" They hand me a mobile, and there's a seven hundred pound mobile phone there. Like, hold on a second here. Seven hundred pound mobile phone. I was wearing a pair of football boots that were two sizes too big for me, with six pairs of socks on at some stage. Now I'm exaggerating, but you get the point here. My dad was shopping in the market for my football kit. Yeah. Second hand was the order. I'm, I, I get a little bit tired of this. I get a little bit tired of the excuses sometimes. People have to kind of. I'll be honest with you. It's their, they're their children. They're their children. They're their children to be educated. They are their responsibility. And I think, unfortunately, there's been far too much responsibility put on schools. And you're right about Ofsted. We are now expected to do more 
with less resources, less teaching staff. And should we not do it? We're guilted into it as if we're not doing our job. And I think that's the thing. What is my job as a teacher? What is my responsibility as a teacher? Where does my responsibility as a teacher end? And the child's and the parents. And I, I think this is, this is going to these results, it's exactly this. A child doesn't do well. I'm the, I'm the fault. You know, the school's at fault. The head teacher's at fault. There's too much of this now. We have to strip it all the way back. And yes, some people have a really hard time of it. Absolutely. But there are many people who have a really hard time of it and they still send their kids to school. Properly. I, I, I know. And, and, and you know, so, so, sometimes, you know, we, 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 um, we sent, uh, we had like a partner school out in the Gambia. And what, what always amazed me in these, when you kind of, the, the students bring pictures back or you see videos of the school that was sent in for our pupils to see is kind of how immaculate these kids were in terms of their uniform being, you know, clean. And, uh, you know, the kids look kind of uh, groomed, ready for school as well. And some, sometimes you look across to the kids in, in your classroom you're thinking, what, what on earth happened there? Because, you know, uh, your... What, we give them a school book, we give them resources. How many times do I give a child, some child pens and they go, they, they just assume now. Yeah. We give, them exercise, we give them exercise books, we give them textbooks, we give them resources, we give them, we give kids laptops. They just don't appreciate it. They just really... And I, I'm, oh God, I'm sounding cranky here. I'm like, I'm sounding like one of those sort of MPs who, who wants people to live on a, on a measly amount of debt. But there is an element of, I think, people need to, I think, take some ownership and responsibility and, and support their schools and certainly say, you know, there almost needs to be the social contract of, and I used to have this where I'd get the kid's diary and I'd, I'd say to the kid's diary, right, your parents' responsibility is to ensure your homework is done. Your parents' responsibility is to make sure you're sent to school with correct equipment. Your parents' responsibility is to check that you are doing well. But ultimately, what is the consequence here? This this is kind of the problem, isn't it? Because we can say that. We've done that this year. We've gone really hard. We've gone for the independent stuff. And we've, we've set a kind of whole program. You know, six weeks in, a kid doesn't do it. Okay, well, the kid, kid goes through the kind of school consequence system. But then what? Do you mean that that, that is that is kind, that's kind, that's kind of the, that's kind of the problem, isn't it? They don't achieve. Yes, I know. But I, that's the thing. They I, don't I, I know, but no. But what happens is, is over the course of the whole five years, then uh, you 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 know, I, I presume everyone like most secondary schools now, you're going through performance management, you're going through these kind of setting objectives and targets. You need to respond to the question. You know, what have you done? And I think a lot. Oh, I'm already doing that. I'm, I'm having my data meetings and I'm looking at my data going like, my people premium students have not done as well. Uh, what's going on with my ability, ability this, and ability. And I'm going, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to basically be in their life 24-7, remind them that, uh, to do their homework? I mean, this is the thing and it comes down to it. I was intrinsically motivated because my parents, as working class as they were, wanted to get me out of where I grew up. Yeah. I wanted education to change my outcome. I needed education. Education was life for me. And as much as I was a little bit disheveled as a kid and I had all my issues and everything else, when it came down to it, there was no negotiation in this. I was going to uni. There was no negotiation in this. My grandparents wouldn't have had it any other way and they're working class through and through. Absolutely no qualifications. I, I, I looked through my ancestors. My, my great-grandfather was illiterate. I've looked at the history of my family. I mean, we are talking, you know, dirt, dirt poor. 
But the difference is there was a pride in my family. And when we got the opportunity to get to like university for free or get a free education, that opportunity was not to be missed. It was taken. And when I wasn't doing well in school, my dad took me to the building site, made, worked me to the bone in the summer when I was 13 years old to say, look, son, you ain't doing this for the rest of your life. You're getting yourself an education. It was a drive, a motivation, a, a desire of, of literally, you will do this. You are doing this. There, is no, there was no negotiation in this whatsoever. And I was surrounded by a community like that who were driven and motivated and they were still working class. And I don't know what's going on in England at the moment, but there seems to be a disconnect and almost sort of like an acceptance, a, a, de- a defeatism, a, a literal almost a lack of drive, fire, passion. And it comes down to what we're going to move on to here. How come some communities with exactly the same situation can achieve and others cannot? What is it about, say, for instance, the Asian Chinese communities and what is going on with, you know, the white British working class areas? Is it is it the deprivation? Is it the, the, the generational trauma? Is it, you know, the left behind legacy? Is it something to do with what you're suggesting, which is the fact that I don't need to be in edu- good education anyway. I'll just go and get a job. There's plenty of jobs out there. What's the point in education? That attitude passed down. Because the thing is, my attitude was passed to me was, you are going to uni, son. You are getting the opportunity I never got. I was guilted into it, almost to a point where I didn't. I am letting the family down and shame on me. And that's the strength of what I was driven towards education. It wasn't even negotiable. I would let the family down. I would be a failure. I would be not a person that they would want to be proud of. And when funny when I get to parents, even when I look at the parents who I'm teaching the children, I can see that the parents that I see invested in their children's education take a very great pride in their children's success. On results day, the parents who take a pride in their success. You can see the schools today that are doing well, the progress rates are up there. They will say we're really proud of those children. I'm always proud of the children that do well and more so proud of those children that do well when I know I have a lot of barriers against them. Those are the kids that keep me in education, the working class kid that gets to Oxford and Cambridge. But that's, that, that, that gap is getting too big. It's just getting harder because I, it's getting harder to motivate. I, 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 just, I don't know how everybody else feels. I just feel it's getting harder to motivate our children. I don't think they want it. I don't think they care. I don't think that the people, the people who are sending them into school are more likely now to tell me I'm not doing a good enough job educating their own child. They're more enough telling me that I'm not, curriculum is boring. They're more enough telling me that I'm not good enough to teach their children, where they take zero responsibility for their children's outcomes. They're more likely to send an email and complaint rather than an email of support. That's where I think we're at. So you'd agree or disagree with me. It's something I'm getting a little bit sort of frustrated about being an educator because I'm constantly feeling why am I the one working 10 times harder than the child and sometimes working 10 times harder than the government? Why am I the one busting a gut? Yeah. You know, why am I Why am I busting my gut for people who sometimes just don't give a monkey? Okay. Why should I bust a gut sometimes when, I, literally, I want it more than they do? Okay, to give you a chance just to give a deep breath, Brent, to uh, lower your blood pressure a little bit. So I'll, I'll <laughs> We just had a message from uh, Paul, a kind of regular contributor to the show. So good evening, Paul. Um, short starts were great, uh, but started in 1999. Um, there are fewer short start centres, uh, but there are s- still some available, apparently, in, in, in some areas. 
Um, so that's nice to see that maybe some communities are uh, still keeping that going. My, my gut says, though, that they're probably falling more into the kind of voluntary sector or charity status now, charitable status, uh, than, than actual kind of a government society-led kind of policy on on this. Um, I think that's the dif difference is, is that if the whole society is behind that age group at, uh, and, and supporting sometimes uh, very uh, young and, you know, uh, vulnerable parents um, actually get off to the best starts. And, you know, we've, we've gone through this evidence before, but we don't need to do it again, that, you know, the, you know, the more you can do at an earlier age, the better. And, um, you know, getting it to the point where a child hits reception uh, without some kind of these core life skills um, is obviously hugely detrimental and sets them back kind of massively. Um, and that includes things like, as Brent already says, things like the libraries uh, that have closed down locally because that has a massive impact on literacy levels. And obviously we know that uh, literacy levels have all sorts of implications, particularly on things like uh, crime later on in life as well. Um, you know, there's been lots of research because of the problems in uh, British prisons this week This week about kind of the amount of prisoners that are in there that have very low literacy levels. And, um, you know, I don't have the evidence, but my, my feeling or my opinion is, is that that is caused by, you know, issues at uh, an earlier age not having access to uh, materials and not having access to um, support around literacy. And I know that my children had a wonderful time at the local library and that kind of then gave them that, um, you know, that love of reading and the love of that kind of um, space around literacy and stories and, and that type of thing. And that's something we then as parents could build on at home. And then that took them into, by the time they went to um, nursery and into the early year setting, they were already at that stage. But you know, some of that was uh, cultural capital, but it also was the society around them that encouraged once, twice a week for them to be in a, a you know, a library space, which they kind of have a very fond memory of. Um, so, you know, that's, that's also kind of that kind of movement of society into uh, pushing more things onto the individual only works if the individual themselves knows how to actually foster and, uh, do it themselves otherwise unfortunately um, as we see more and more children just get uh, left behind and don't have that uh, same same start um it's eight o'clock brent talking of library yep. talking of library we, we've actually got uh, a library which is john cat educational which is our sponsor well, so, what a uh, this, the show's bought in partnership with John Cat, we're, we're back to John Cat, and they're publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools. Uh, we've had them for as a sponsor. They're absolutely fantastic. They've got really good back catalogue and always up to date titles as well. Um, so please check out the latest re releases. You can also use the code JESSETTR2324 for 20% off your order. So that's code JESSETTR2324. 2324 for 20% off your order. So please don't miss out on that. And you can find them at johncatbookshop.com. That's J-O-H-N-C-A-T-T bookshop.com. And please explore the full range of titles and to advance your own CPD today, which is happy reading. And CPD is important because I, I, I give a big shout out to you during the week when Tom um, pulled up and says, well, were you ever thinking of leaving education? And I will confess that about 10 years into my career, 10, 11 years into my career, I thought I'd reached that point where 
I was done with it in a sense and um, was having a bit of difficulties and just did a punt of going for some professional development in, in a master's degree through the school next door. And through the school next door, I met Adam and a couple of other good teachers as well. And that, I, I'd be honest with you, that master's, that master's saved my career in a sense and always got me re-loving education because it just gave me that sort of uh, that CPD that I needed at the right time. And that can be the saving grace sometimes. Same when you, you, you try a new school and you go to a new school, you discover a new set of colleagues. Sometimes CPD or even, you know, educational books. And for me, it was reading Carol Dweck, um, the, the Self-Fulfilling Prophecy, which, which I still now would realise that a lot of my educational philosophy is built. It's good when you, you sort of discover that what you're doing in the classroom is based upon some philosophy that seemed natural to you, but actually it does you do fit into a certain ideology of a certain type of teacher. And and I think it was when I read Carol Dweck, um, the, those 10 to 12, 11 years ago with Adam, that sort of changed my mind. So please, by all means, please check out John Catt uh, Educational Publishing because there might be something in there that might uh, reinvigorate your 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 um your teaching practice and and of course that's the thing with us teachers we're always constantly evaluating reassessing evolving there's no other profession like this that actually pushes you to the point where you just when you think you've got this sort of sorted society changes something else changes and i do sometimes accept some of the changes but then i also think sometimes you don't have to socrates was still doing his thing and socratic method still works you know as I said to once, I work in a Catholic school and somebody was saying, where's my teaching plan? And I once turned around and went, well, you know, our Lord Jesus was up in the Sermon on the Mount. He didn't need a teaching plan when he fed 5,000 people. Yeah. It didn't get me very far, but I'm still sticking to that. Some of the, some of the greatest teachers have never had to do a two-hour lesson plan when, when, when you I, do your teaching, do find, teacher training. I do you know? find it interesting how often kind of Socrates comes up in kind of just general debate. I, I, we were watching something the other week about um, technology. So we're doing something about the Internet of Things in the lesson and one of the one of the lectures we were watching um someone said about that technology needs to be interweaved in each in each in everything therefore it becomes kind of invisible and um the worry about technology and um the socrates uh, famously said about kind of his concern was around books um and, and, and literature literature and actually that would kind of stop people memorizing things um, it's kind of just interesting, isn't it? That uh, you know we're talking about kind of AI sometimes, and the worry is that. But uh, people worried about books, and uh, at one point, and I guess print after that, and you know the way way things go. But um, yeah, well, I, I worry. Here's a follow up on one of our last stories last last week, which was about robots taking over the classroom. Yeah. So, for for anybody who listened to last week, and of course you can listen to any of our. Um, our, uh, our broadcast back on, on, on the likes of Podbean and, of course, Spotify as well. Um, so you can get any of the Teacher Talk Radio catalogue on there as well. But this is an interesting one, and this is what worries me about as educators. Is, and as much as I, I get passionate about it, because I am a passionate individual, and I, and I do unleash the passion in, in the kids in the classroom, and it, it's still fresh, and it comes from the place of wanting the best for them. That's why I get frustrated. But I don't know if an AI can get as, as passionate, because here we go, an AI robot was appointed as a principal teacher at a boarding school. <laughs> So UK boarding school has appointed an AI robot named Abigail Bailey as its principal teacher. The robot developed with expertise in machine learning and educational management provides advice to the headmaster on various matters. I thought that was my job as the union rep, but there we go. The AI principal aims to support decision making and alleviate the loneliness often experienced by school leaders. <laughs> so, so, so don't talk to your leadership team. Talk to the AI. Um, the headmaster also plans to make the online robot available to, to state school head teachers. 
The school previously advertised for a head of AI and appointed another robot, Jamie Rainier. They're actually giving the AI robots names. They have an AI robot called Abigail Bailey and another one called Jamie Rainier to help, I mean, integrate technology into the curriculum. This is a whole new level stuff, isn't it? The school believe that collaboration with AI and robots is essential for students to adapt to the future. Exactly what you're saying, Adam. The introduction of the AI is not intended to replace teachers, okay, but to enhance their capabilities mm-hmm. and provide the best education possible. So you're like, whoa, <laughs> yeah, I'm no Luddite, but I don't want to be replaced by um, Jamie Rainier and Abigail Bailey, the AI principal. I mean, how, how's your career progression there at that school? Uh, I am up for promotion. Damn, the AI gone before me. So person at that school's probably been looking at that assistant head or deputy head teacher's job for a long while, looking for promotion, and the AI is taking the job. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. I really shouldn't laugh. But there, that's that. That was in the Sunday Telegraph. That story was in the Sunday Telegraph. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, I, I, I want to get back to the kind of core message, but um, you know, I've I've been in a meeting today about um, AI. As uh, you know, my um, job role inverted commas head of AI at, uh, at school. Um, maybe I'm the bot. Maybe that's that's going to be the big discovery that I am the bot in in the school. Um, and you know, we're we're looking at kind of how how actually AI can actually help us as teachers. Um, you know, you know, we've talked before about kind of replacement. You know, I think we've got to be. You know, we've we've got. We've, I always said this. We've got to be able to sell ourselves a little bit more and what we offer. Uh, we are ir- irreplaceable in in the in the school system. Um, our knowledge, our backgrounds, what you know, what you've just been saying about John Cart about the way we kind of uh, you know develop ourselves, research, we're academics as well as teachers. You know that that is really difficult to replace, um, and I think it's kind of highly unlikely. Surely, in the in the in, in the kind of long to medium term, I can't see any kind of obvious replacement for um, you know the the, the person in front of a group of kids in, in, in some respect. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm a bit more relaxed, certainly as a 43-year-old, anyway, <laughs> that, uh, that it's not going to have an impact. Maybe I'm more cynical to understand how our free market economy works these yeah. days. And I'm a bit more historical in a sense of seeing how these patterns develop over time that if you want to cut corners, you want to cut costs, you know, you know, sick, the AI won't have sick pay, doesn't get maternity leave, paternity leave, won't go on strike for six and a half percent. You know, the history patterns do repeat themselves, yeah. but I do accept that we are in some ways more dispensable. Go back to our original news story, yeah. though. But are we then not? And this is the thing. Are we then not? educators any longer but facilitators are we now the person that brushes teeth rather than actually yeah. delivers the lesson here i'm going to go with this you know we will be teachers but our role as teachers won't be the role of teachers we'll be a different type of teacher because the ai is doing a lot more that you see what i mean we what was the role for us in an ai future yeah. when the ai can do faster than we yeah. can are we just going to look after the children are we are we going to much like you know the weavers of 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 the of the um people used to hand loom uh, back in back in the day before the industrial revolution. And then all of a sudden the, the power looms came in, and what you had was still workers in the factory. They worked in the factory, but they weren't making the stuff any longer. They were just putting the cotton in and cleaning up around. 
So you still had workers, but you weren't making the stuff. The machine was making the stuff the same as the machine will be doing the learning for the yeah. children. But we'll, we'll be there to supervise and look after and feed them and brush their teeth. You see, that's no, what no, I no, worry no, about. No, I understand that, but there, there is, I mean, we, you know, we, we are, it's, probably, it's probably not the right show. We probably can kind of do a whole kind of podcast on, on this, but there is, I think will, there, yeah. there is a kind of an economic yeah. argument around this thing called the labour lump in terms of when uh, progressive technologies come in and take jobs, that sometimes it's not. Uh, those, those jobs are dispersed into society, and in some cases people go on to do different, better things anyway because of the technology and the other environments that you you're then that we then we then don't know are going to come about because of that technology um so so it's not always kind of doom and gloom i mean there are there are obviously always kind of winners and losers in a in a system that you know you know has winners and losers but um you know but connection is, and I suppose why I'm allowing it. It's not. It's not too much of a of a of a sort of tangent because let's go to this story. And I think there is a connection between we're talking about the the left behind communities. So this report, uh, and and I think the left behind communities are only going to get left behind in the digital world because there is. Let me put this story first as a, the example of where I'm going with this. Laptops and GCSE exams could disadvantage poor pupils. So laptops and GCSE exams could put poor pupils at an unfair disadvantage. Oh, as if they aren't already. And may not be suitable for certain subjects, warns the academic professor Robert Coe. The largest exam board in England, the AQA, has announced a timetable for introduction of digital exams starting in 2026. They assure that pen and paper assessments will still be included to maintain handwriting skills, as if they're the thing of the future. Professor Coe, a senior associate at the Education Endowment Foundation, um, said that everyone thinks it's inevitable and a good thing, and it's just really tricky to work in practice. When computers go wrong, it can be quite hard to fix. He added, I think there were concerns about equity and fairness, where familiarity with devices will be different among different groups. What we're really saying is the digital divide, aren't we? We saw during the COVID, weren't we, where we had to send laptops up to people to certain areas because they didn't have access to any computers. They have maybe a smartphone in the whole household, if they're better. So here we have again that if you introduce uh, digital learning and digital exams, that again, you're going to disadvantage people from disadvantaged backgrounds. So even, even in the world of the potential future, this gap that we're going to discuss here is going to be accentuated. And then we come to the current situation. White pupils fall behind their peers in education, the report. So the Educational Policy Institute think tank reveals that white pupils in England have fallen behind their classmates since the pandemic. The report said between 19, 2019 and 2022, higher attaining ethnic groups have generally pulled further away from white British pupils across the education phases. So that's across all the education phases, whilst pupils from um, lower attaining ethnic groups have generally narrowed the gap, with the exception of white and black Caribbean pupils. The report found by the end of primary school, pupils of Chinese descent were 10.7 months, which is nearly a year, months ahead of white British pupils, and those of Indian descent were eight months ahead. It added by the end of secondary, Chinese pupils were a full two years ahead of their white British classmates. That's phenomenal. The report also found the attainment gap between poorer pupils and their peers had widened in the same 2019 to 2022 period. It found that children classes persistently disadvantaged or eligible for free school meals, so our free school meal kids, um, for at least 80% of the schooling, are more than a year behind their peers, and by the end of primary, almost two years behind the end of secondary school. The, that's absolutely unbelievable. That's a failure. If someone wants to talk about levelling up, oh, here you go. There you have generations. And I'm not going to blame a single government for this. This is generational. This is this is doesn't this doesn't happen 
overnight. And I'll tell you why it doesn't happen overnight. I'm 20 years teaching, 21 years ago I was doing my teacher training, and I remember a similar report when I started teaching. So this is nothing new, but what is new is the gap is getting wider and something happened during COVID to accentuate that gap. And as I'm suggesting to you, we go digital and we move into AI, then you're going to see that gap even widening because that school that has the AI deputy head, of course, is a private school. So they'll be embracing the technology. They've got the funding to embrace the technology. They've got the cultural capital. They'll get the digital jobs. Well, you know, what, what are we going to have? A, I feel like we're going to have a society of Eli and Morlocks if we keep this up, which is, you know, that the, the HG Wells, the, the ground dwellers and the, and, and, and the surface dwellers. You know, that's, that's, that's the way we're heading. Because th- if this continues, this pattern continues, it can, only, it can only create bigger problems for social cohesion in our society. And, and as we say, it's not going to bring inward investment because the type of employment we're going to have is the gig economy. And when you get automation coming in, these areas are going to be left behind even further. I, I, I really think, I don't understand why nobody is not doing something about this. Yeah. I really don't, I don't understand. I really can't understand why somebody's so social mobility, where is the social mobility czars? Where are the, where are the people who are talking about how levelling up could happen? Because this this is a huge number of people we're talking about. So you're talking about white working class British children. That's like 900,000 children they read. Yeah. Sorry. Just had a, a news report. There you go. Well, put that open to the floor. I don't know how you guys feel about that, whether that's anecdotally in your area, you see that happening. I know in my own situation, it does back up what, what I've seen in my own sort of setting over the last 20 years, um, and it does, being a faith-based school, we, I pull kids in from a wider catchment area than normal comprehensive, and I could see a massive difference between different areas and even postcodes and even different ethnicities. So I can tell you that doesn't surprise me in my own background in a school which is a comprehensive school, which is in the middle of two cities, which does pull kids in from an old industrial area and from Leafy suburbs, and I can say that the gap, I can see that in my own classroom. I get the full cross-section in my own classroom. And I see the gaps opening up even more so in the last, especially the last five, six, seven years. There's definitely been, not just but just before COVID, I think even before COVID, I start to start to see more gaps opening up. And I think COVID's just accentuated. And I think since that, it, I think it has got progressively worse. And I think that's feeding into behavior. I think that's feeding into so many other things as well something going on and i don't know what everybody else feels about it so to the floor if there's any thoughts about that is 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 this because of attitude is it because of um the postcode thing is it because of the industrialization is it because of generation now just before i hand over to, to adam there is a government report from two years ago which is interesting and and there is a commons report which actually looked into this and it was the MPs themselves, and this was this was published in June 20, 2021, that said white working class pupils have been failed for decades for neglecting the English education system. And and they said the statistics then, what they have for then, have actually got worse. But they had a, a list of things that they said was causing this. Poor local jobs market lack of opportunity, lack of community assets and social organisation, including poor local services and poor transport. Families with multi-generational poverty Interesting that, that's your sink of states, isn't it? Disengaged parents with poor experience of education. That's interesting. It's, I didn't do like school. You don't have to do well at school. I didn't do well at school. Don't worry about it. Um, using people premium funding to provide more support, they suggest, um, is, is one way out of it. Family hopes to get parents involved. Attract teachers to areas that can struggle to retain staff. 
So here they are in 2021 saying, attract teachers to areas that struggle to retain staff. Well, we're attracting, you know, are we seeing people going into areas away from certain areas towards nicer areas? And I hate using the word nicer areas, but you know where I'm going with that. You know, the more difficult areas, the more difficult postcodes, is there a, a teacher shortage in those areas, which is leading to some of this? And how do we get in people into those areas? Ensure that work-related vocational education is available. <laughs> well, how's T-levels worked out? And find a better way to talk about racial disparities. And, and that's the thing. Even I thought about, when I put this story together, I thought, am I okay to talk about this? I mean, um, you, have to, you have to be careful. You know, because how are comfortable talking about it, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, we were talking kind of earlier on in the week about our own backgrounds and, um, you know, our own kind of... I was talking to you about my grand grandparents and uh, they both left school, both kind of uh, working class. Maybe we'll discuss um, that word in a minute and what that means, but they, they were kind of working class um, and they left school at... Um, well, they left, officially left school <laughs> or, or I think I think the the actual cutoff was probably fourteen, but there certainly wasn't much secondary education at all. Um, and I, it just got me thinking sometimes when I look at um, some of the students that we were teaching in that area that you we were mentioning earlier. And, uh, a lot of the lads, in particular, from the age of thirteen, uh, went off to essentially just started working, um, and school became very much a secondary, um, you know thing for them to even think about they weren't motivated by it they kind of went to school because their parents were getting hassled or the parents thought it might be a good idea to get a certain level of education and it got me thinking that I wonder if like my grandparents that some working class um, people uh, students feel that there is a certain level of education that is acceptable and that is now from that is basically their primary school key stage three education and anything else above the mandatory in terms of English and maths is not actually part of their uh, motivating factors to be in education at all. So it's almost like a there's an economic output that they see a value in being able to kind of uh, read, write and do mathematics but actually to sit there and do a GCSE in geography, technology, computer science, business studies, et cetera, et cetera, all nine, is that actually something that's worthwhile at all? Yeah. Paul, is, uh, I think Paul wants to speak. Are you, are you there, Paul? How are you doing, gentlemen? How are you? I'm not too bad. I think you're, you're a good one for this because I know we've spoken before. You've got, you, you know, you've got your finger on... On that type of area, I mean, I know. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, you're gonna like this. My grandfather was born in Brutal Brutal. I never told you that, Paul. Oh he, God, he, really? He, but he's born in the workhouse. So my my grandfather was born in <laughs> born in West Derby. It's one of the reasons Christ. why I'm a red. I know, I know. I'm sorry, but yeah, the, the my family were back and forward between the northwest. Actually, um, grandma grandma was born in Fleetwood. And they were, you know, really working class Irish back and forward between uh, the north of Ireland and then back over to to England back and forward. So I've got family in Wigan. <laughs> so I've always had this affinity with the northwest and knowing that strong connection between the Irish and the northwest. But also, I've also had that affinity with Liverpool, and I know Liverpool is one of those areas that social deprivation has, 
you know, back in the 80s, it, there was a certain individual who says, you know, let, let's put the place to ruin. Now I've always had that very strong mm. and stand up for people in Liverpool because it is one of those areas, isn't it? Which yeah, especially, especially Bootle. Br- brutal Bootle, wasn't it? That's brutal Bootle, yeah. yeah. Well, I used to I used to drive up to me, um, me grandparents, me grandmother was Irish, and um, we had to drive through Bootle to get to their house. <laughs> so it was one of them where you just went a bit over the speed limit and made sure all the windows were shut and didn't slow down too much. You know, so uh, good on him. To be fair, um, I was can I can I start with a, an AI story oh, first? Oh, far away. Brilliant, because um, my daughter uh, came home today, and um, she always says what happened at school, and I always ask her the same. And because she's got a father as a teacher for years, she's she knows a lot of sort of the workings of school and all the stories behind and stuff. And they had uh, they had their English today, and their English teacher had asked them to do a piece of work, and. Um, he had marked it all and everything else. And she said that he spent the um, last 15 minutes of the lesson basically berating the rest of the class, but applauding this one lad who had obviously worked so hard to improve himself over the last week where the homework had been given, um, saying that people weren't using this phrase or that phrase but this lad had listened and he put it in. You should all be like him. You should put in the effort and produce writing like this. Now go away and think about it. And they went out of the classroom and the lad took to them all and said, um, yeah, that's chat GCP, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> you've, got, you've got to say, you know, fair play. That's, that's yeah. terrible, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it, Joe? So, so when the whole class, I tell you what, when the whole class in the next assignment... To produce his writing where it might actually be the same. That'll be his face would be an absolute picture, I think. Absolutely. Are kids gonna go with the whole works of Shakespeare or something, aren't they? Just read them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But the thing is we'll always we'll always have this gap. I mean, I remember when Wikipedia came in, I, I changed I had my kids writing essays back in the day when they actually were allowed to write an essay. Now it's chunked down to the point where it's like, well done, you wrote five lines. Mm. How, how things have changed, you know, they they really have sort of like they have no longevity, our children, weirdly. Um, yeah. But back in the day when I got them to write an essay, I'd get them, you know, a week or so to write an essay, a university style on, on Napoleon. I went and changed the Napoleon article in Wikipedia and inserted some um, <laughs> mistakes in it. And, of course, this parent who was like, this parent didn't, didn't like me. I think there was a little bit of, didn't like some of my opinions. Uh, they, they consisted, no, my child, I supervised my child doing that homework. My child didn't copy it. Went, so I had the parent in and says, see this Wikipedia article, I put the mistakes into it. And the parent went, how dare you? You're trying to... I says, well, they do that at university. You know they'd be chucked out of university. My job is to prepare your child for the future. And by the way, how could I tell? There's no way in God's green earth that they could write that information. And that was, Wiki- that was Wikipedia. But we've, it's evolved, isn't it, now? It's uh, Wikipedia, my way. But this is the, and kids are always going to take cor- cut corners. They're always going to try it on. But in, in itself, you have to applaud the, the, the ingenuity and, and I suppose the initiative of yeah. being able to do that and, and that shows the level of intelligence to be able to find a workaround and that's what kids are brilliant at aren't they, they that's where they are intuitive I think that's when they're at their best aren't they absolutely I think that I think that class are, are well into their chat GTP or teach mate now and and just no AI <laughs> for the future <laughs> absolutely but what you were saying what you were saying about um, ethnic um, sort of uh, achievement and everything else I've remembered even when 
I was in school late 80s, early 90s, and we had children from Chinese families. They were always the the brightest kids. Do you know what I mean? It was it was yeah. a sheer work ethic from them. And that's I've I've seen that throughout, I've seen that through me my daughter going into high school, she's had that. There's a Chinese family who I mean the kids play an instrument, they top set in every subject they just have a, a, a really strong work ethic to be able to achieve in all these things and even when even now in the class that you know I've mentioned before where I've got mm. eight Polish children Arabic children um, we've recently had some people come over from um, Ghana and Nigeria they they see they see um, being able to come to school is a privilege that's how they act that's they just I'm I'm so glad we're here. The parents are so glad that they're they're here and they're able always very to do thankful it. and grateful for everything you do. Yeah, well, oh, massively. And I mean, even yeah. even the first day when um, this Nigerian family have recently arrived, the father was just so appreciative to me. And yeah. the thing was, it was just the first time I'd met him, and the child has only been in school a week, and um, they were just so happy to be here. Whereas you've got children who maybe get a different message for whatever reason, and and we're literally trying to, to drag them through the door and then drag them through the lesson to be able to to hold on to this information that we're, we're meant to store in their little heads. Yeah, and, and I'm exactly the same. You mean, I've, I've got a new arrival from uh, Ghana, and English is not brilliant, brilliant, um, mm. but at the same time, smiling, happy, and I say, well, how you find how you find the school? They've adjusted so, so quick and appreciate everything they couldn't believe and it's interesting they couldn't believe i give them um i give them a pen or if they needed they couldn't believe i was giving kids pens couldn't believe they got an exercise book for free there's little things that they, yeah. they couldn't believe couldn't believe that i was so amenable willing to help them and, and, and the gcse classes one of the students gone straight in the gcse class and i have 15 kids in there and they couldn't believe there was 15 kids in the class rather than 50 kids in the class yeah so there was there was a really fantastic sort of um buzz you get from some of these children and again hong kong children um i went to school with a a, a boy who was sent to um to to adam during the week about this and and we had at my grammar school i went to i went to sixth form it was a grammar school but it was basically uh northern ireland the 11 plus so it's a very different system so it's more about ability but i got my gcses went to the grammar school and there was three three um students hong kong students and, and we didn't know this at the time, but they actually worked in, in the restaurant as a part of their upkeep. But they were sent over to get an education and, and somehow they ended up on, on the border of Northern Ireland in the 1990s uh, at a Catholic boys grammar school. And and we didn't realize that, that Brian, Brian Fung as he was, because um, they, they all got Irish names, which was which is because no, nobody would take the time to pronounce the names. They said, right, well, you know, that, that's Brian. And it was, you know, they, they accept they actually got to choose the names they wanted as well. So uh, Brian was was always falling asleep in, in in a common room while we were what you know basically eating pot noodles and doing nothing meant to be studying, and Brian would either be studying or falling asleep until we realised the guy was working two or three o'clock in the morning in the restaurant getting three or four hours sleep and he turned out to be one of the top chemistry students in the world, and and they were just so driven so motivated so um so desirous single minded focused on achievement and the pride of achievement and it, it was phenomenal to watch. And it is always phenomenal to watch when you see the drive and the motivation coming from certain families. Too much sometimes, actually, where, you know, I've had to turn around to some parents and say, you know, your child is 
just you know needs to maybe chill a little bit and have a you know some social skills and some some time out so there is that aspect as well isn't it where people can be so focused in education too focused in education and not developing the other aspect the softer skills as well and you need i think you need the balance of the both don't you you kind of need to be able to do both um, and you know, I was talking, speaking to a parent last night, who and the, their child's come up with GCSEs, and they're in the relationship. And the mother was straight away going, "Not a chance! I, I want that relationship finished. She needs to focus. She's too young in her education." And I'm thinking, she's 16 now. You know, she she likes this boy. And what can you say? Like, you know, the, the, the parent is adamant that, that that this this is getting in the way of her education, and the education is the most important thing. And I'm her teacher thinking. Actually, she probably needs the, the distraction a little bit because I can imagine she's doing four or five hours a night, and it's it's difficult to navigate that other side of it where people are almost too pushy to a point where I think it can actually sometimes cause a little bit of damage in the sense of expectations. I know it with me it did because if you never you know the pride thing and the ex, you can push people too far and, and and stress them out too much and put too much pressure on them. And that can, yeah. that can that can be the other that that can flip the other way as well. There's there's the, always the the Goldilocks, isn't it? Where you want enough pressure, enough not stress, but you need enough motivation, but not too not, not too hot, not too cold. And as a parent, God, it is difficult because I have that on my own child. You know, I don't you know, they have their sats, and I'm thinking I want them to do well, but I don't want them to do well at, at a cost. It shouldn't come at a cost. It's it's got to be balanced, doesn't it? Is it that too many working class? inverted commas working class children are motivated for the wrong reasons and there's not a kind of um internal motivation or you know um to education or something they want to strive towards for the love of learning is that not kind of is that not there so therefore wouldn't you take away some of those external kind of motivators they kind of just check out yeah, I suppose you're right. I mean, because I, I look at my own and I, I had a, a very broad education in a primary school where I just enjoyed nature walks, you know. Yeah. I, I, I enjoyed my primary school curriculum. And funny, I was asking my daughter recently, you know, what does she enjoy about school? She's not enjoying the English and maths. It's too it's too forced. It's too sort of pushed on. Whereas she is actually enjoying the arts and the crafts. She's enjoying the PE. She's enjoying the geography and history, funny enough. Because, um, you know, maybe that's me because I'm a geography and history teacher. So maybe that's partly myself but her mother is you know proficient she's a psychologist very very good at maths and it's actually really annoying my wife that you know why is my daughter not like maths i loved maths when i was a child and i'm going well when you did maths as a child you weren't under the same pressure you didn't have sats to do so there may be something in that where maybe as you said if somebody's behind and somebody feels like they're behind maybe they've given up early it's that back you know it's that kind of like why why bother trying if I'm never going to win type scenario and, and in our education system there is a definite feeling of winners and losers and if you feel yeah. as if what you're going to you're never going to win so why, why bother I'll, I'll concentrate yeah. as you say I'll well, concentrate on things I can win at that's that's right. what, what I'm good at so my my close kind of cultural network is good at doing this they're good at kind of giving themselves a, a an income a um a purpose around a particular field and you know it's all set up ready for me or I can go to this thing here that I don't feel like I can um you know succeed in I don't feel there's a, an outcome there that I want so why do I need to be in that outcome uh, why 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 do I need to kind of push myself to it um just while just while we ponder that Brent it's it's coming up to half past eight I'll just say a quick hello to uh 
John Cat Educational, our uh, sponsor for tonight. Um, Indeed. Uh, it's a it's publishing professional um, development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Uh, you have to uh, check out the latest re- releases, and you can do that. Uh, we can we can offer a good code tonight, Brent. Uh, if you use the code um, JCTTR two three two four, you can get twenty percent off an order. Um, so please, you know, we've got a whole library of John Cat's uh, educational books in, in our school and they're a good, useful tool for us to go to every so often and top up on our uh, CPD. Um, some of them, I've got a, um, a Rose and Shine's Principles uh, book that's quite good. It's kind of a little handbook uh, that's a John Cat's educational book that I kind of go to every so often because uh, sometimes they can be quite good, concise books uh, that you can quickly visit. Um, so I've definitely used them. Uh, so visit johncatsbookshop.com uh, to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. So question for Paul. I mean, yes. you work in the early years. Do you see that what we're describing forming early early on, the, the kind of disengagement of not bothered versus bothered, you know, the competition, the motivation, it, it does, does it start to happen at four, five, six, seven, eight years old? Does it sort of start at primary? And do you see that developing, that gap from from the early doors? And and then, obviously, from a primary point of view, do you think then the way to fix this is you've got to get it early? If you get it early, you might give these kids a chance of feeling as they've got some chance of success and, because that gap at primary only seems to get wider at secondary. And I come in at secondary trying to close the gap and it's, you know, it's, it's probably not saying too late, but it's a harder gap to close then. So what do, you, what do you see that gap at primary then, or 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 is it a smaller gap then, or develops into a bigger gap? Yeah, I I I must say this I must say this comment about fifty times a year to just colleagues and stuff, and I it's it's through no sort of um, particular report or anything else, and someone might say I'm wrong based on you know findings, but I just believe that. Whatever you do in that first five year year of, of that child, uh, child's life is absolutely vital moving forward. And I'm talking about the whole thing. I'm talking about a basic, you know, you're talking about brushing the teeth and stuff, just basic hygiene, basic skills, brushing teeth, eating food. I mean, and the, th- the, the thing is then, I'm usually saying it because as a six-year-old or a five- or six-year-old, they've then got major problems where they've not, they've not learned the word no. You know, it's, it's, mm. I've found that, or I believe that, there's a lot of, a lot of parents who want, don't want the conflict with the child. They want the easy life, you know, the nice yeah. sort of times to do this, that, and the other. And then when the child goes into school and they've got to follow a... A, a routine, um, a set of rules, they've got to conform. They absolutely lose it. And it's because they've never had to follow that kind of thing before. And it's obviously only, it's more in school because there's rules to walk where and do this and get that. Or, But that you've got to teach a child that. And I, I, feel, it's, I feel it's neglect, you know, in the other way. Because it, it's if you're not actually preparing your child for 
going into school and spending most of their time without you, but with a load of other children and an adult that only go they're only met for the first time. If you're not preparing them for that, then that's on you as a parent. You've got to you've got to be able to build them up and give them experiences so they don't absolutely, you know, lose everything in school and kick off and act this way and that way because they they can't cope with a structure and being told, no, you can't do that because here we do this and it's just ongoing. And, and sort of then you, you have to almost reboot them then in that sense of you, you've got, oh, and that's exactly. what I think you're in COVID we've had, because we have at the secondary school where it's like, why can't I go to the toilet? Why can't I go to the toilet? I go to the toilet when I want. I do what I want. And you're like, no, no, you don't. You can't. No, you can't. And some parents support that idea of like, wow, that's ridiculous. You know, when I was this good. And I think that that thing that the Cummins said is is true. If parents have had a negative experience of school, they're more likely to be less supportive of school. If they've been educationally successful through school, they're more likely to be supportive of school. If they have a bit of a bee in their butt of like, oh, well, they don't value education, don't value the school, and the, the child has to go to school, there's that element of it. I think it's like the holiday thing, isn't it? Where, you know, I'm taking my child out for a holiday. I can do my education better in school. I devalue school. And I don't know whether the government have given that subliminal message by underfunding schools, not sorting out schools. There's, there's a definite feeling I get, an undercurrent, I think, within the country of education is not as important as it used to be. And, and, and there's almost an undermining of, well, when the teacher tells you to do that, don't you worry, I'll back you up, I'll write you a letter. You can have your hair whatever way you want. You know, I can be your best mate. Here, look, you know, you go off and sort yourself out with that technology over there, four-year-old. And I know that's a stereotype, but the stereotype's starting to bear a lot of fruit is what, what we're really saying, isn't it? That these, these stereotypes are starting to become quite the norm. Yeah, and the, I, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, has been technology and I'm a total advocate for it. I think it can be used in so many fantastic ways. You know, the world is completely different now as it was even five, ten years ago, do you know what I mean, as opposed yeah. to 25 years ago. But the the downside of it is that um, children are sucked in on screen time. And if they spend most of their time, particularly in the first five years, literally you know, five centimetres away from a screen for most of the day, they are not going to appreciate anything else. And it's their blanket. It's their blanket. It's their security blanket. And it's the security blanket, if you like, of the parent as well. Oh, you know, I've got to do this, or I want to watch that, or I want to do this, or oh, they're kicking off about that. Give them the iPad. Just give them the iPad, iPad. And the thing is then... When um, they get into school and technology is available there, it's they just they just see it as all right now I can play. You know what I mean? There's no sort yeah. of um, drive like you said before. There's no drive to achieve whatever yeah. the lessons about. I, I, I do think. Though, I mean, it's interesting. You mentioned this uh, last week, Paul. That uh, one of my worries is that. Um, some children's first um, relationship with education is through the screen uh, because of COVID. Mm. And they have been brought up in that world. And I think it's a huge challenge because of the nature of the technology for teachers and schools to try and claw that back. Uh, I'm not being defeatist in that. I think kind of there, do has, there does have to be policy. And we do have to try and think about a way to do it. 
but I don't think there's any real policy anywhere at the minute, apart from banning them or um, taking them off children, to actually how we work with children to kind of ease them back into um, a different type of education that could be more beneficial for them in the future and for their well-being. Yeah, and I mean, the thing is as well, we aren't with the children between one and five. That's right. You know, and they're, they're, it's, it's everything that's just planted and mm. um, integrated into them. And then we almost have got to spend the next few years sort of scraping away all of that mm. and try and get them in a mindset where they're going to achieve, I suppose. You know? And the thing is that a lot of parents when they say, oh, well, they, why can't they do that? Or why can't they do this? Or they're not like that at home or, you know, all that sort of stuff. It's because we're almost, we're starting on a, on a minus. That's right, yeah. So it's a different world they're coming into, isn't it? It's a completely it's different world. Uh, we're kind of advocating something that's moved on. And in, in I'm, I'm just putting it from a pupil's point of view. I mean, even my kids who will, will, in, will engage very much with education, they still come back and they say, well, why could, you know, I could have done this much easier on, on my phone today, but the teacher said I couldn't get my phone out. Um, so therefore I had to kind of do this long winded process uh, to get in. And, and I know why the teacher's done that because potentially if he lets everyone go on their phone, then there's a kind of a potential behavior issue or somebody misuses the phone and then it opens a can of worms with lots of other things. Um but there's got to be some way of kind of, this is what I was talking about last week with AI and technology more generally. We do have to find a way to work with it um, rather than just say it's a kind of, it's, it, you know, your phone is, gets dropped off at the door when that's completely an alien world to all these kids. Um, and it's, it's, it's really difficult, I think, for our, well, you know, for our generation and even generations older than us to kind of really appreciate that. And um, and we bring that bias in, don't we? Of like Brent said, the world that we had, and it's just it's just not um, appropriate, I think, for us to kind of try and force our world onto a you know a group of kids who just don't have that world. You know, we we can we can we can moan about it and we can say that we wish it could be like this, but the reality is is that because of a you know a situation, you know, because of COVID those children are in a position where they have been on a device for a long period of time and it is their primary uh, relationship with education. And, I, don't, I you know, I, I just think kind of as a, as a school body, as, you know, teachers, parents and everyone somewhere and, and school leaders and policymakers, there hasn't really been much thought put into that about what happens when they just go back into school and we just say, well, actually, you don't, we, we don't want the phone here. We don't want the technology here. But then that causes a huge, um, you know, problem behaviourally, I think, in a child because they are potentially, um, unfortunately, addicted to it. So of- then going back to, to the different groups then, we're sort of suggesting that not only that these different groups, that would be one of the differences then, that these these people from you know the, the other ethnic minorities, their parents wouldn't tolerate them having that technology for that time. Their parents would be stricter on them. Possibly, or it could more be... Disciplined, a, more well, driven could, towards, more, be, more regulation, more, more it control. Be, well, it could be, or it could just be a cultural thing. So I know that um, a lot of my pupils, for example, 
um, in the evening um, because it's a Muslim community. It's about the it's about the mosque praying and that community in the evening. Yeah. Uh, so, so actually, there isn't a great deal of you know mobile phone use in that community. Whereas you know, I look at my own kids and you know. Um, I'm watching them now, kind of, because my wife's got out. I'm trying to keep hold of them as they're, they're, they're playing up in the living room now. But there isn't really anything for them to do now, uh, apart from, you know, watch telly or go on their phones. Um, and, you know, that when we were young, as you said, you know, we did go out to clubs. We did yeah. go to activities. There were things that we could access. And, you know, although I did, I did have a very kind of, inverted commas middle class background those things weren't expensive that i was doing um no, they, I, had, they, I had a youth club i had a local youth club yeah, i had the church yeah, i went to church every sunday you know yeah yeah we, we, we had community is what i'm yeah, saying yeah, yeah that's right so there's there was the biggest sense of community and also that there, there would be a group of us that would be happy just playing out in the street um till like seven o'clock seven thirty yeah. Well, there was that too. We used to do that with curbsies. We used to do that with uh, running around, you know, exploring the area. You know, there was the, the fact that education in school didn't stop at school. We were, I felt we were learning more about the world. Even now, I, I'm a very unusual situation because I geopolitically, I, I, I cut my teeth as a, as, a, as a five and six year old when I started learning about the world because every time I used to, but watching the news. And I sort of thought of that recently. I, I grew up at the dinner table watching the news. And the miners' strike. I remember my, one of my first childhood memories was my, my dad spitting his dinner right when the General Belgrano was sunk by Thatcher. And I, I think I was four or five years old. That's phenomenal exposure to the world. I knew Yasser Arafat was when I was about six years old. I, you know, I knew the talk about this Israel and Palestine situation. I think the Palestinian flag and the ANC flag was, was flying outside our house. Now, it wasn't put there by us, it was put there by some of the local youths. So my, my, my world was kind of connected to the world. You know, I watched documentaries. I watched, you know, Attenborough. Every Sunday, I'd watch Attenborough with mum. Mum would call me downstairs in the middle of my homework and go, the wilderbeast are getting its son. And I'm going, oh, yeah, yeah, it's the wilderbeast always getting hammered by the hyenas. Well, who is it this week? Is it the lions? And that was the thing, the interactions. I had more social interactions with my cousins, with my family, with my grandparents, more social interactions with my siblings, so more social interactions with people in my community, people around me, more watching the likes of the news, connected to the world, our kids are in command center 101, a.k.a. bedroom, and they are looking at lots of stuff, but they're looking at stuff that's actually, I won't say it's educational, and I'll give you the example. I've started teaching computers now at, at year seven, which is non-specialist. It's interesting teaching computers because one of the first things I thought, here's these new computers, and I said this last week, I, I kids today didn't know how to switch the computer on. The, the, my mouse is not working because they don't know how to use a mouse. I have to show them how to use a mouse, and I'm going, what is going on? These are 11-year-old children. This is the digital kids. These are children of this generation. Then realize they're all iPad. They're all iPad. They're all touchscreens. They're all voice command. They don't know how to use a PC. And I was then showing them how to do um, a rudimentary PowerPoint about how to create a little logo. Very basic stuff. They couldn't log in. They couldn't remember their login details. They, they couldn't uh, activate the product. They, they could, and you're like, I'm going, are these are the children who are digital natives. What is going on here? And this is the thing, they are in certain aspects, but in other aspects, they're not. They are very, if they were presented a problem, like the mouse wasn't working, if I was their age, I'd figure it out. I'd, I'd hook around, I'd go, oh, how's the mouse not working? Let's have a look behind it. They are so waiting for instructions. I think, unfortunately, the way they learn now, it's so rote, and so sort of, so chunked down, and so everything, everybody has to get it. 
I think the challenge is going out. And we, have, we even have to do in lessons now where you go, oh, here's the challenge question coming up. Here's the challenging part. And you're like, <laughs> you know what I mean? We even have to turn and go, here's a deeper thinking question for you. We even have to highlight, please highlight the deeper thinking question. So I'm asking you a deeper thinking question. Everything's so scripted, so forced, so unorganic. And I think learning's become that in school. Maybe some of, some of this is our children are bored. Maybe what they're getting outside school is more entertaining to them. Maybe we just can't compete any longer with the outside world. And school is just like, oh, God, what'd you get in school? The meals are terrible. The teachers are all disconnected from us. And I, I want to be home. I say that to kids, you know, what would you be doing during a half term? When I was their age, during a half term, I'd be studying. I'd be working. I'd, I'd be out playing football. They're on EA 24, 12 hours a day in their, in their bedrooms. Well, 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 this is interesting because this, this is just come up on Tess this evening, uh, Brent, about uh, persistent absence or severe absence. Uh, the number of pupils who missed uh, 50% or more half-day sessions in autumn and spring term has increased by a quarter last year. Data oh. uh, shows so the. I mean, this is incredible. In 2018, it was 57,167. And uh, 2022 to 23. Any ideas? Can we guess? No idea. 138,905 pupils missing, uh, more than 50%, 50% or more sessions. Um, you know, so th th this is that question, isn't it? Like, I wonder if you delved into that. Uh, if you cross reference the attendance yeah. data with the ethnicity <laughs> data, would you find a correlation? <laughs> Yeah, how many of those students are those disadvantaged, um, you know, white um, working class children that we, we are we are talking about? And Anecdotally, so, in my own background, absolutely, yeah. I, I would back that up. I would, I would definitely because, throw that because, out because we do know what there is. There is, there is strong evidence, isn't there? And it's, it's it kind of sounds right anecdotally as well, isn't it? The more school you miss, the worse the outcome is at the end in terms of grades. That could be answering that question. We calculated a five percent from uh, anybody chronically below below ninety five, eighty five to ninety five percent. We calculated was a grade. So if attendance was below sorry below ninety percent, sorry eighty to ninety percent, it was. So a child with eighty to ninety percent attendance versus a child with ninety five percent attendance, we found was a was a grade difference in our school our school setting across the across the board. On average, so that's a full grade difference. Um, and then the thing is, you take that though. You take a child with say ninety percent attendance, ninety percent attendance at the end of their GCSEs would be nearly well over a year and a quarter of their actual time at school. Now you take those figures about the gaps there, those attainment gaps. You know that has got to be one of the issues about you know how how low attendance is getting and how and also the number of children disappearing into the system. County lines, oh my word, we are losing so many children, and they are the most vulnerable children. And I think a lot, going back to Paul's, I meant to say that earlier, go back to what Paul said between the age of one to five, I think the bad habit starts there. I think the excuse making starts there, because some of the some of the parents, I mean, it's so obvious. I stood up and I, I took attendance over a couple of years ago in my school, and I got in trouble for it, I don't care about it, I said it. And I actually took the kids into the hall and says, no more duvet days. And if your parents are thinking of sending me letters in to say that you are not well and you're not well, well, I'm not taking it. I'm not, I'm not having it because that's lying. And if your parents want to lie to us and they want to tell us that you're not well when you are well, then that's not acceptable. And I've had situations where parents lie to you and go, my child's not well. And then they're spotted downtown shopping. And you're like, you were lying to your school and telling your child they're meant to be in school. When, when, what, are you, what are you saying to me? How can you trust people when they're going to turn around and take their kid out of school and lie about it? 
What are they? Te- what, what value are they teaching their child? By the way, you go to school when I want you to go to school. And then the child turns around and goes, I'm not feeling very well. No, they're not feeling very well. All the time I hear kids say, that, that child, he, he's at home. He's just, he's on, he's on his Xbox. There's nothing wrong with him, sir. He's at home. And that's, that's enabled by a parent who's just, oh, you're not very well. Oh, what's wrong with you? Oh, you, you take the day off here. Kid laughs his head off because he's, he's sitting there for the next couple of days with his headphones on with another kid who's got his headphones on. And that's happening a lot. There's no doubt about that. I noticed attendance rates when EA24 was released. Oh, yeah. There's a couple of kids off school. Now, you take that nationally. Who are these children? Because I don't think they're going to be the children from backgrounds where their parents are pretty much, you know, not allowing them. Take China. I mean, <laughs> TikTok is banned in China after a certain, a certain thing. And I'm not saying we should be that draconian. I think that's the wrong thing to do. However, they understand the danger of things like that. And they completely cut it off because they want their kids to be focused on their education. Let's go back to that parent I had last night. A parent's even saying, I want my child to be focused on their education, not focused on, on falling in love with a 15 or 16-year-old. Who am I to say that that parent, that's that parent's child, that's that parent's child's responsibility. I admire them for their dedication. I think, you know, they've got to be careful. And I did hint at that. Don't push too hard. We'll, we'll, we'll manage that. We'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye and make sure that they're okay because I'm worried about stress levels for a child like that. But at the same time, that parent is focused, driven, motivated. And their child is focused, driven, motivated. And there's no way God's green earth. They'd let their child lie in the bed on a duvet day and play Xbox or take them down shopping instead of going to school. That's where it is. I think that's our problem. And your attendance figures, those attendance figures are showing the pattern. If I take those two attendance figures and take the gap that's opening up in certain communities, I think we have one of the major factors. I mean, that's what my read of that would be. I don't know whether you think that would be it, Adam, or whether you'd agree with me, but I think that's a strong correlation. It's got to be a yeah. strong correlation. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, I, I, you know, obviously, we're all kind of trying to find the reasons, you know, why, and it's it's not something that, as you, as you said, it feels like something that was there right at the beginning of my career, and it's something that's never really been addressed. So it kind of poses the question: Is anybody really looking into it, or kind of has an active policy to try and? Um, you know, support um, these communities, or are they, you know, uh, just being left for for for? I don't, I don't know what. For again, from what Paul was saying and what we said earlier, say why why would you do it? Because we know that the outcomes for lots of for society, economically, um, health. We talked before about Venn diagrams. All mm. these all these things are interlinked. For me, the the link this week with the prisons is the key. You know those those maybe some of those pupils who are uh, left behind, low literacy levels, well, uh, mm. undiagnosed SEN. You know all these things then potentially can equal you know a potential outcome of prison. And... Well, can you imagine? And, and uh, Paul's got to come in this. Like, you know, imagine that those areas that have to pay out more money on mental health services are the areas where there is more deprivation. That actually filters back into it. They increase the crime. There's more mental health services needed. There's no money, more investment needed. People don't go into an areas of crime. It all becomes a cyclical thing, like a downward economic spiral. We call it the down, you know, the uh, the negative multiplier effect. You know, your school's not doing well. Your pupils don't have confidence. They're more likely to turn to crime. County lines comes in, and the whole thing goes in a downward spiral. Yeah. Um, yeah. Paul, you're, you're going to come yeah. in on that. Right. So, so, Brent, just one thing, just just a quick note to say, you have got four minutes, and you cool. and we want to yeah. say hello to John Cat just at the end as well. Yeah, far away, Paul. I was just gonna. I was just gonna say, if you sort of compare um, pre whatever last fifteen years, say 
where schools were, you know, education, education, all that. And schools were, there was expectations of parents by schools. And because schools were, um, I don't know if revered is probably maybe too strong a word, but they were certainly labelled as important by the government Mm. and everything else. And so there were expectations made of parents, made of children, and those were expected to be met. And then basically what's happened certainly over the last 15 years, more probably, is that that's completely swung the other way. Because every day it was like schools aren't doing this, teachers aren't doing that, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, kids aren't getting this, kids aren't getting that. And so it's almost a total reversal now where actually there's parents' expectations of schools and those expectations are growing. And at the moment, there's no way, no way of seeing that curbing at all. So going back to the sort of initial brushing the teeth and toilet training the kids almost in some respects it's this list of things now that schools are supposed to be expected to do is growing and growing and growing and i hope it curbs off soon otherwise uh it might be an ai teacher who's teaching them to brush their teeth (laughs) lovely way you've finished that off perfect paul and you've kind of summed up everything brilliantly Right, Actually, uh, Paul, I will say that is, in a nutshell, pretty much exactly <laughs> the, the, the hypothesis, because I, I think you're right with 97, that, the, you know, there was that education, education, education mantra. Education was seen, and you saw the policies, and you saw, you know, the, the new Labour government really push and motivate, get to university, almost like, I, you know, I, I, I rode the crest of the wave of that. I was one of that generation. And, and here I am, as a working-class kid, more socially mobile, my problem is looking behind me at somebody like me, the equivalent won't get the same opportunities and life chances and social mobility. And I, I think that is in a country that's meant to be a meritocracy. I think that's a national disgrace in a country that prides itself on. If you work hard and do your best, you will succeed. I, I, you know, if the, if the, the British dream, the American dream version of the British dream of work hard, do your best. It's not, it's not fair any longer because for some children, it, it doesn't, they aren't going to succeed because just by accident of birth, by postcode, by life chances, it's just, it isn't just fur. And they, and you're right about the first couple of years. I meant to say it earlier on. I think you're absolutely spot on. Those first couple of years are so, so, so vital, especially when we know about the likes of um, attachment disorder as well, which which is a whole different conversation. Yeah, don't, don't start with the John. Yeah. <laughs> so th- thanks, thanks, Paul, for everything tonight. I was really, I'm, I'm glad you piped in because I was really hoping that you would because obviously you, you give the, uh, the primary school, we've got the three stages of education there. Um, obviously, we're sponsored by John Cat Education. Uh, John Cat Education is a fantastic uh, publisher of, of uh, CPD and bookstores. Uh, I, I've actually shut down my um, thing, so I might need our host to give me the code because I've actually literally my computer's just run out of battery, so I've, I've lost my um, my code. But uh, John Cat Education is, is our sponsor. They have been our sponsor before, and and they they have a ba- absolutely fantastic back catalogue of, of materials that you want to listen back to for your CPD. Uh, you'll find them at johncatbookshop.com um, and they're fantastic for that. So sorry, I've just, just yeah, shut everything down. I've, I've got it here. It's J J C T T R two three two four for twenty percent off your orders. Don't miss out. Fantastic, and we are at nine o'clock as promised. Tom H B. So, so we started on time and finished on time. Yes. 
Uh, we've got no, no show over on the other side. I think Paul Hazard's off at the moment, so there's uh, there's no show over on the on the other channel, as you don't get your double dose of of uh, Northern Irish, um, <laughs> as we say, or her her Northern Ireland. Um, so yes, and of course you can listen back to us where you get your Spotify and your in your podcasts as well and Podbean as well. So don't forget you can you'll also be a host if you if you like becoming one of us. And, and taking over and I'm just so determined to stay at 9 o'clock before Tom HB is going to go he's counting down the seconds thank you and thank good you. night <laughs> good night goodbye thanks Paul as well again you've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org we look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio Teachers Talk Radio